Good morning. It's good to see everybody out. We've got a good crowd for being spring break, and I also would like to welcome everyone here. I'm, if you're a visitor, we're especially glad you're here this morning, and we hope you will stick around after services so that we can get to meet you and shake your hand, and we hope you come back every opportunity you have to worship us, worship with us here at La Prada Drive. Um, Sean's going to be speaking tonight, and it's going to kind of tie in with this morning's lesson. Uh, I, it was kind of planned that way after Sean and I visited a little bit about my lesson and some things I want to put together for your thoughts. This lesson has been in the making for probably, is this March? I, I would say probably since September, maybe even back as far as July. And this was something me and Brother Carl was working on prior to his death, something we had been given a lot of thought to about this topic. It's a serious topic. It's not meant to offend anybody here this morning, and I don't want you to take offense to it. I don't want to present it in a way that would be offensive. It's out of love. It's out of concern. Because I think it's very concerning that the religious world brushes it off, and they really make light of it. And when we get finished today, I hope you'll look at it in a different way, the way the Scriptures present it, in the way that I understand it, and I believe most of us here will understand it also. You know, Christ during his ministry, he did a lot. We have it where he turned the wine, the water into wine, healing, healing the blind, the dumb, the leprosies. He did a lot of things that we have recorded in the scriptures for our benefit to strengthen our faith. There's also examples in the scriptures that he was able to forgive sin during his earthly ministry. We have examples of that. We have the paraplegic that was let down in the roof where they removed the roof off the house. And because of the men's faith doing that, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now we know that the religious leaders of that day took exception to that. They were really upset about that. How can this man forgive sin? Who does he think he is? Now I'm paraphrasing. But I've got those scriptures if you'd like those after the sermon. Time is not going to allow me to do all that this morning. But that's an example of Jesus forgiving sin during his earthly ministry. Well, Rick, that's only one example. Well, that's true. We have another example. We have the woman, the woman that came to Jesus when he was invited to eat with the Pharisee. And the Pharisee, Simon, invited him in to eat and break bread with Jesus. And this lady comes in to where Jesus and Simon were seated. And she comes in behind, as the story tells us in the scriptures. And she was so moved that she was in the presence of the Holy One, of the Messiah. And I'm sure, I believe in my heart that she knew he was the Messiah. Because you see, she brought some anointment to anoint his feet. And before she got to do that, she was wailing and crying, and the tears were so, the scriptures say that it implies that they were just automatic. I mean, it's just something that was not rehearsed. It was real emotional. Can you imagine enough tears to wet a man's feet and wash them? That's what happened. That's what the scripture said happened. And after the tears hit his feet, she used the strands of her hair to finish cleaning them. And then took the anointment and anointed his feet. 
Now, what was kind of funny about this incident where Jesus forgave her sins, and we find a little bit further in the scriptures on that story, was that Simon, who was there eating with Jesus, who invited Jesus into his house, said, man, if this, and he's thinking this, you know, that's what the scriptures said. He didn't say it out loud. He said, if Jesus knew how sinful this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him, is what the scriptures imply. But how did Jesus knew Simon's heart? And Simon, uh, Jesus gave Simon a parable and said, Simon, I got a question for you. If there's two men, one owes you 500 pence, another one owes you 50, and neither one of them could pay you, who's going to love you the most? And Simon said, well, the guy that owes you, five, that owes you 500. And Jesus said, you answered right. That's the right answer. And he took that moment to explain to Simon why this woman was so emotional. Because, see, she had a lot of sin. Simon didn't think he had a lot of sin. Because, see, he was a Pharisee. He thought he was above her. Sort of like a lot of people in this world does today. They think that, I don't really need Jesus. I'm a good person. I mean, I go to work. I support my family. I don't kill. I don't rob. I don't steal. I pay my taxes. I don't need Jesus. Or I can get him on my terms. That's what a lot of people think. They can have it their way. It's McDonald's. But you know, Jesus teaches us a different lesson. If we really learn how to rightly divide the word of God. And unfortunately, the world today doesn't do that. They do not rightly divide the word of God. I hope that what I'm about to get into will be of interest to you. I hope that you will examine yourself when we get to the invitation. The importance of this. Without this, there is no salvation, is what it's going to boil down to. In my estimation, the way I look at it. And this is the way Rick is interpreting the scriptures with his understanding. And if you think I'm wrong, I'll be glad to talk to you. We have no problem. But I want you, if you would, for the main text this morning, we're going to refer, we're going to be in Matthew 27. If you want to open up your New Testaments with me. This time of the year is a good time to bring this up. Because in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to be focused on the cross. Everybody. The world will be focused on the cross. The whole world about Easter. This is a little bit early. This doesn't really have to do with Easter. But it does have to do with a man that was hung on a cross. But I'm not really talking about the Savior directly. I'm talking about one of the thieves on the cross. But see, there's two other men that hung with Jesus that day. They were very bad people. They were so bad that society decided it was better for them to die than to live amongst them. So they were going to be crucified. It's just a convenient time that so was the Lord and Savior going to be crucified. In Matthew 27 and 38 it says, And the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Can you imagine that picture? I'm not very good at PowerPoint if I... I knew Ethan had his graduation, but Sean told me I could impose on him, but I didn't. Can you imagine seeing on the hill, we've seen pictures of it, of three crosses. Sometimes we see that picture with just one cross. But there was really three that day. Three men were being crucified. Three men were being put to death. We also know that at this point in time that 
the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, they were scared of Jesus. They just, they just wanted him out of the way. So here's the Son of God being executed with two criminals. And crucifixion was the worst form of capital punishment at that time in the Roman Empire. It's an extreme case of putting to death. You know, it wasn't used on a Roman citizen. It could only be used on slaves or captured people. It's extremely shameful. And here's our Lord and Savior between two robbers, as the Scriptures records. It's also interesting to note that we have Jesus in the center. He wasn't put on the left. He wasn't put on the right of these two guys. He was surrounded by these two gentlemen. And I probably use that term loosely at this point in time. The cross, if we look at it in simple terms, it divides people. It puts us in either two groups. It does that today, too. We're in two groups on the cross. You and I are part of that group, one of those groups today. We're either the group that's going to be saved or the group that's going to be destroyed in hell. It's not a nice way of putting it, but that's what the end is going to be. It's going to be eternal punishment, as we're still debating amongst some of us. Uh, But it is not the alternative you want, I assure you. You want to be with the Lord and Savior. So there's only two groups you can be in, the saved and the unsaved. The forgiven and the unforgiven. That's the only two groups we have. That's the only two that the Lord gives us. So for this reason, the cross divides humanity. It puts things in perspective. Now, can you imagine that at this point in time, you're one of those gentlemen hanging on the cross? The pain, the suffering. You know, I just, I've been, like I said, Carl and I was doing this study together. I found something that I thought was interesting on the cross. You know, we always see the cross with our hands held out like this, right? And the nails goes through this way and through this way, and then there's a little platform in front of the cross, and your feet are sitting there, and then the nail goes that way. But, you know, they just found some archaeology stuff from Rome that shows that maybe it might not have been quite that way. Now, it's still a cross, but the way they hung on it was their hands were on the back side of the cross with the nails going through the back side of the hands. And then the feet, well, they didn't have that little platform to help you pull yourself up so you could take a breath. Your feet, the nail went through your heels on the side of the cross, made it more painful. That's some archaeology. They found some bone fragments with a nail that's been fossilized in that position where the Romans used to do crucifixions. I don't think it really matters to us which way it goes. I just thought that's an interesting, I won't charge that. It's just something I thought was interesting during this study. So when, when you look at the, the crucifixion and you talk about somebody about baptism, is it necessary for salvation? I can always assure you the first thing they're going to say is, what about the thief on the cross? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the thief on the cross. That's something that when I grew up, that was a big debate. I understand it's not quite as big anymore, but, but it's still a concern. You know, the, the one that probably preached to more people in his lifetime than anybody that I know of is Billy Graham. And if you go to Billy Graham's website and you look up the question, is baptism, baptism necessary for salvation? I'm going to read it verbatim for your reading, for your hearing this morning, and you can go out there and find it yourself. 
<clears throat> it's out there. It's out there this week still. But here's what it says on Billy Graham's website. And again, the question is, baptism is necessary for salvation? He says, you may know that we urge immediate, extensive Bible study for each convert. As the scripture is reviewed, the place of baptism will surely be discovered. And if baptism were a requirement of salvation, we would certainly say that. But you couldn't support that knowing, for example, that the thief on the cross had no opportunity for baptism or church membership. Yet his confession and paradise was secured. Jesus said unto him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I don't disagree with that last statement at all. That's what Jesus said. He told that thief that he would be with him in paradise. He forgave him his sin. Don't dispute that. That's a fact. But Jesus also forgave other people their sins. Jesus had the authority to forgive anybody their sin. He could walk up to you if you're living in that time and say, your sins are forgiven, and they were forgiven. Scriptures are clear. But what happened, but what happens at the time, after the time of his death is what's important. What law are you and I living under today? What rules What governs our acceptance of salvation? What governs us having salvation today? You know, if I go to India, I'm under the rule of India. I have to go by India's laws. If I'm in the United States, it's the United States. If it's Canada, it's Canada. If it's Mexico, it's Mexico. Wherever you live, you go by the laws of that land. We're brothers and sisters and visitors. We're under the law of Christ. That's the law that we're living under right now. So the only law that we are going to be able to answer to or that could save us is the law of Christ. There's not another law. We're going to look at that a little bit further in the scriptures this morning. So we want to look at the argument a little bit later about about the thief on the cross. But first, let's briefly understand how the thief was saved. Let's look at that because I think that's important. The thief was saved... Did he know who Jesus was at first? Scriptures doesn't record it that way. The scriptures record that here's an evil man. He's been condemned to die because of the acts and the decisions he made throughout his life. I mean, I don't know how bad he was, but it had to be pretty bad to be crucified. Or he made somebody mad, right? <laughs> it was somebody he, he ticked off. But yet, here are these two guys being crucified. And the scriptures bear out that They mocked Jesus just like the scribes and the Pharisees did. They mocked Jesus. In Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39, Matthew records for us, it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. If he's king of Israel, let him come down from now from the cross, and we'll believe him. He's trusting God. Let God deliver him now. He desires, if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. In verse 44. They're making fun of Jesus. And, you know, I'm having a hard time making that make sense up here. You know, you're dying the same death as the guy you're making fun of. And yet, 
you want to keep going that way and you're not worried about yourself. Because you're just hours away from eternal judgment. Those two guys are. They really are. Sort of like you and I, we're just, sometimes we're just days or hours, months, years away from our eternal judgment. And so is the world. So we have the chief priests here who should be leading the people and serving the people and leading them to Jesus. But instead they're mocking the Son of God. Kind of tells us where their heart was, doesn't it? That they really, they really had an evilness about them. And if that wasn't enough, here's the two men who are also being crucified, speaking ill of him, adding on to their sins and their promise, their problems. So can you think, can you see how this is kind of playing out? In Luke 23, verse 32, it says, And the two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. In verse 35, it says, And the people stood by watching. The ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is a Christ of God, if he is the chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If thou art the king of the Jews, save yourself. But then it comes to the criminals. At this point in time, one of them gets a change of heart, according to Luke. Now we know that the timeline here is somewhere... And just give me a break here. I'm not sure. It depends on which scholar you want to read. But the crucifixion took all day, the way they were counting the day. They're saying this was probably about the third hour, maybe the fourth, that this criminal comes to a different belief about Jesus. He quits insulting him. He has a change of heart. And so one of the criminals who was hanged, in verse 39 says, one of the criminals who was hanged railed him and saying, are you the, not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, only one was mocking Jesus now. And Luke, beginning in verse 40, and says, The other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for what we are receiving our due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. In verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me in your, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What changed his heart? What made him come to a different perspective about Jesus and his power and his authority and what was to come? What changed his mind? Could it be that the sign that was above Jesus said he was king of the Jews that made him think that maybe he was the king? Or did he hear the, the scribes and the Pharisees and all the people mocking Jesus and he was putting together some of the teachings he may have had at his youth when he was going to the synagogue and listening and getting the word of God read to him. And that was coming back to his memory because he saw his hour approaching to this world coming to an end. I don't know what changed his mind, but it did, according to Luke. He changed his mind. Now let's notice what happened with his mind change. If you would. There's no indication in the text, but instead it seems that everyone around Jesus that day could tell there was something different about Jesus hanging on that cross. He wasn't the usual person hanging on the cross. It's a little bit different. For Pilate to the soldiers crucifying and to this man, something stood out about Jesus that day. 
In Luke 23, verse 47, it says, Now the centurion saw what had taken place, and he praised God, saying, Certainly this was, this man was innocent. Or this was an innocent man, depending on the verse, the translation you're using. There must have been something different in Jesus' demeanor that stood out for these people to notice that. Because this centurion was a hardened soldier. I mean, he had seen battle. He'd probably been in battles. He'd probably seen his buddies get killed in different skirmishes and conflicts. It wasn't just somebody that was a part-time jailer. This was a hardened soldier, someone that had seen battles before. But he didn't have the same heart that the scribes and Pharisees did, did he? He had a different heart. They were able to see in a matter of hours that Jesus was an innocent man. But before going into the thief's heart, did you notice he found a new faith? His faith in Jesus went beyond believing in his innocence. He believed that Jesus was going to have a kingdom. That's special, folks. Here's a man just hours from death, and he recognized that our Savior was going to have a kingdom. And he recognized that this kingdom was after this life. Because he wanted to be remembered when he came into that kingdom. Same thing you and I want, right? We want to be remembered when Jesus comes back. We want to be claimed part of his, his flock, his church. Now, I guess you have to c- c- try to conclude that, you know, the, the sign meant something. I don't think it really did. I think that was just a cruel joke. According to John chapter 19, that was something that Pilate got upset with the scribes and the Pharisees because they were the ones that charged Jesus claiming he was a king or claiming that he was. And I think Pilate, as the scriptures bear out that the scribes and Pharisees got upset with that sign being put above Jesus' head, that they didn't want that, according to John 19. But Pilate said, it is written, and there it stands. Sort of like what, uh, I forget the son of Siam would say, I forgot that, the king and I, how he said, so it is written, so shall it be. Sort of the same thing, I'm kind of paraphrasing. But Pilate said, it's going to stay. It's going to stay above his head. And they didn't like that. I don't know whether that had any influence on the thief or not, but it's there. Something for you to consider. Now, think about it when Jesus was before Pilate and Herod. Those two guys weren't friends. (laughs) They didn't like each other, according to the scriptures. But it said because they kept sending Jesus back and forth, back and forth, they became good friends over this ordeal. I don't know how you do that, but the scripture said that. So the people are crying for his execution, crying out for this man to be crucified. He's basically, Jesus was considered homeless. And we only have a few followers of a group of women in John standing afar off watching this transpose and come to fruition. How much faith do you think that thief had when he asked Jesus to remember him in his kingdom? I think he had a lot. Some people say, no, he just had nothing to lose. Well, that may be true too. But the other one didn't take advantage of it. The other thief, he just kept going down the same road he was going. But this thief made a change. And you know, it's according to the scriptures, the examples in where Jesus forgave sin. You also had the woman caught in adultery. Some people think that that sin was forgiven. So that's three examples, maybe, where Jesus forgave sin in his earthly ministry. Two, we know of it that directly says that. 
I think it's implied there with the woman caught in adultery. And then we have this man here. So there's four examples. That's recorded for our learning and our understanding. So when, you, when you're looking at this, hours away, here's a man that's made a mess of his life. He's asked Jesus to remember him when his kingdom comes, and Jesus makes that promise to him. Man, that, how could it ever turn out any better for him? I mean, he's fixing to go to eternal judgment, and it probably wasn't on the good side of the decision at that point in time. But because of his faith, he got to be with Jesus in paradise. Now, what a blessing that is. Well, how do we have that same assurance today? I want that assurance, don't you? I want to be able to live my life with that assurance today. I want to know that when I close my eyes that last time, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to wake up on that other side. I hope everyone here today wants that same desire. I think we do or we wouldn't be here. But let's explore something like the thief. How are we saved like the thief? In many ways, we're just like a thief on the cross. You say, Rick, no, we're not. Well, yeah, we are. We're all guilty and condemned. Maybe not in man's court, but at least in God's before we accepted Jesus. Our destiny was on that wrong side of the cross, the wrong side of the decision. We were going to be part of the unsaved. So in many ways, the thief couldn't change his outcome but through faith. The same thing you and I can only change our outcome is through faith this morning. Anyone who has sinned stands guilty before God, and we're living out our life on death row waiting for that sentence to be carried out. That's the whole world today. That's where everybody stands. Of course, the world says that's not true. You know, I've I've been to a couple of funerals here lately. Some clients have passed away, and I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying I had the conversation with the gentleman that I went to the funeral Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, and he didn't think there was a God. Not a bit. And that funeral, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of his eternal life. There's no mention of his promise with his heavenly father. There's no mention that he ever accepted Christ in any shape, form, or fashion in his physical life on this planet. I was, I was really, I was feeling sorry for the guys doing the sermon. I really was because he was struggling. He really was having a hard time doing that service. All they could talk about was his accomplishments in business, his wife and his children. That's all they could talk about. Nothing about his eternal reward. Nothing that he made preparation for. See, that's what I thought was sad. It really was. I don't want that to be my funeral. I don't want that's how people remember me. I know you don't. I especially don't want the Lord to remember me that way. But that's how it was. So when we get down to today's, today's rules, what rules do we have to live by? What rules is the world supposed to live by? You know, we celebrated the Lord's death and burial, I mean the Lord's death and remembered the body and the blood this morning at the Lord's table. And when the Lord instituted that, he said that was for his new, his new Testament that he was going to shed his blood for. Now, I'm not a lawyer, thank God, because I'd probably be dangerous, okay? I just pick up the wrong battles. 
But I do know enough that for a testament, for a will to be of any effect, whoever wrote the will out as his last will and testament, before that is ever any good, he's got to die. And that's what the Lord did. He died on that cross. And that last will and testament that he died for is what you and I are living under now. We're not living under the old law. It's gone. It was nailed to the cross. We're living under that new law. The new promises, the new conditions that you and I have to live by. You know, sometimes people think, well, all I got to do is believe and that's all I got to do. I ain't got to live the way I want to do. I ain't got to keep nothing. I can just do my thing. And Sean's going to talk about that some tonight, about doing your thing. Is that going to save you? I encourage you to come back and hear what Sean's got to say on that. Sean's one of the elders here, and I know he's going to do a better job than I'm doing this morning. So I'd encourage you to come back and listen to him. I really would. But if you look in your book in Hebrews 9, verse 15 through 17, the writer of Hebrews talks about this New Testament. He talks about this new will, these new directives that we are under in the law of Christ. In Hebrews 9 and 15, it says, Therefore he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, what's the first covenant? That's the old law. That's the old law. Now, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a Jew. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm a Gentile. But, you know, the Scriptures is very clear that even though the old law didn't apply to me, I didn't do animal sacrifices, my, my lineage didn't do animal sacrifices, and yours probably didn't either. But we had a law unto ourselves. We had a law that we knew to keep. We knew what not to do and what, kind of, and what to do, and that became our conscience according to the Scriptures. That was our first law. That was our first covenant as a Gentile. But the Jews had a different law. They had a law that was given to them by Moses. They had so many rules to keep, I'm glad I didn't live under it. I'd been out, I'd been, the first day I'd have broke them all. Okay? You probably did too. We know that Jews couldn't keep it, but only Jesus could. He was that perfect sacrifice, that perfect Lamb of God. Verse 16, I want to read that again. And for the will is involved. The death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. That's why we're under the New Covenant, the New Testament today. Because our Lord and Savior died, was in the grave three days, and rose from the dead by the glory of the Father. So then, if we believe that to be true, and that's the word of God that we're talking about here, that's the covenant, we know that he died, we know the emblems we took of a few minutes ago was to represent his body, his blood, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, then we've got a new covenant. The old one doesn't apply. The, the law to the Gentiles that they had unto themselves or the old Mosaic law, it doesn't matter, you can pick which one of those two you want, still doesn't apply. But the new covenant applies to everybody that walks this earth since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nobody that it didn't apply to. Let's look what happens here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Didn't leave anybody out. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, who did Jesus give that to? Gave it to the the apostles, didn't he? Before he ascended into heaven. Well, you know, Jesus, I don't want to do it that way. Can, Can you just forgive my sins if I pray to you? I don't find that in my Bible. It's not there, folks. It is not there. And if you love the people that you care about, and they're going down that path because that's what they believe, because that's what man's teaching, I don't want to stand before God that I didn't bring it up to their attention. I hope you don't either. But we've got to know how to do it in love and sincerity and with the Scriptures. Because you see, if I don't want my children to go down that road, my grandchildren, my friends, my cohorts. You know, I've talked to a lot of guys I bass fish with. I've been fishing with some of these guys about 35 years. Some of them were members of the church, some of them aren't. But I can almost assure you there hasn't been one that I have not mentioned it to that I'd like to study with you. And I say, tell me how you were saved. Everybody's got their own way of saying it, but they all say, well, I just got to believe. Unless they're members of the church, they got a different story. My question to you today, if someone that you're talking to says, well, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross, what's going to be your answer? You know, Brother Carl was trying to work with that with some of his family. So him and I started this study together. So I've got some of my family I want to talk to this about. A little bit better than I have in the past. A little bit nicer maybe than I've been in the past in presenting this. Because I know sometimes my wife will tell me that... (laughs) I say things I don't think how they come out sometimes. And she says I do her that way too. And she'll probably, she could say amen today, she probably would. Sean might do it for her. But anyway, that's, that's really happens. I mean, I don't think about how it comes across to the hearer sometimes. And I've given this a lot of thought, and I hope I've presented it in a way today that it's not offensive. That you're going to take what, I'm, what I've brought to your attention today, go home and study it to see if it's of the Word of God, if it's true. And if you're needing to be saved, if you're needing to be baptized into the warty grave of baptism, you're going to act on that faith. The same faith that that thief had when he asked Jesus to remember him when his kingdom come, when, his king, when he comes into his kingdom. You know, if, if you look at the scriptures, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm seeing the time slip by. What do you think Peter would do today if he was standing up here instead of me and somebody in the audience said, Peter, what must I do to be saved? So you can say, well, ask Jesus to do it. Let Jesus pray, pray to Jesus and see if he'll save you. Is that what he's going to say? That's not what he said on 50 days later after Jesus gave him the great commission in Matthew 28. What did Peter say in Acts 2.38? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the thief on the cross, well, how was he saved? Jesus had the power to forgive sins. Maybe he'll do that for me. Yes, he did have the power to forgive sins. But that's not how it works today, folks. The way it works today is for us to have faith, not in this, you know, this water. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say, well, how does this water save you? Well, no, it's just H2O. It's even warm, by the way. It's just H2O. There's nothing special about it. It came out of the tap. Nothing special. 
But it's the faith in the power of God using his word to save us. Same thing that the, the thief had. He believed in the power of Christ, that he had the ability to do that. Just like when they let the man down through the roof, Jesus saw their faith and he forgave their sins. In Mark 16, verse 15 through 16, he said, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole whole creation. And whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know, there's a, over in, in, if I get the the book wrong, to understand it's in the four gospels, but it's in chapter 7, and I want to say it's in Luke, chapter 7. We have about the last 10 or 15 verses there in chapter 7 about Jesus talking about John's baptism. But you know they were rejecting baptism before it was commanded? (laughs) It says the Pharisees and scribes would not accept the counsel of God. That's what it says over there in Luke 7. They were rejecting baptism before it was commanded that everybody be baptized for the remission of sins. Because see, the commandment of John's baptism, it didn't apply to me because I'm a Gentile. It only applied to the Jews. That's all it could apply to. But they were, the Jews were rejecting it then before it became mandatory for everybody. That's what Luke 7 says. So you see, people's been fighting the truth for a long time. People don't want to accept the truth. I don't know why we want to do that. We want to justify things like we want to justify. But you know, I'm going to encourage you today to just go back and study for yourself. If you, can't, if you feel like it's overwhelming, I know... A lot of us feel that way in the beginning that, man, I can't make heads or tails out of this Bible. It's confusing. But you know, there's a lot of men in this room right now that would be glad to study with you. All you got to do is ask, and somebody will. You will not have to do it by yourself. That's the good news. You really don't. So here's the neat thing about baptism. In a way, we are saved exactly like the thief on the cross. Not that he was baptized that he too must be crucified with Christ. You know, he was crucified with Christ, just like the thief that didn't believe. They both went through the same punishment here on earth. But only one got eternal salvation. You know, that's going to happen to a lot of the folks in the world today. We all go through our little trials and tribulations. I'm not trying to make any of those small, because when they're yours, they're yours, and they're big. Don't get me wrong. I've got mine, you've got yours, and we all think they're big. And, and they are to a lot of us. And Some of us, when you look at other people's problems, ours ain't so bad. So I'm not trying to make anybody's problems feel like they're not important because they are. Everybody's problems are important. And we're here to help lift each other up. That's the commandment from the scriptures. But in Galatians 2 and 20 it says, and this is Paul, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul said. In Galatians 5 and 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, that's the hard part about living a Christian life. We have to make a change. We have to change everything a lot of times. Some of us got to make more changes than others. But we all got to make a change. There's all things we got to improve on. We can't just go through this world and say, oh, okay, wash, it come out in the wash. It doesn't work that way. You can't build a house without some plans. It doesn't work. You're not going to have square corners if they even meet if you don't have a plan. We've got the plan of salvation. It's been given to us. 
Well, how can, we cruci- how can we be crucified with Christ? That's the question this morning. In Romans 6 and verse 3 through 7, it says, do you, do you not know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus was baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that is, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death, like his, we shall surely be united in it, with him in his resurrection. We know that our old selves was crucified with him in the, old, in the order for the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who is has died, has been set free of sin. That's how we crucify the old man, through baptism. That's the symbolic of it. Well, does that mean that we save ourselves? No, we can't save ourselves. Getting baptized without faith is nothing but a public dunking. That's all it is. It means that we're trusting in the power of God to save us, not our own works. In Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11 through 12, the writer there says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. See, if you're not ever buried with him in baptism, you can never, you've never been circumcised. You never put off the old man. You're still walking around in him. That's the beauty. It's easy to do. It's not hard. Well, you know, they say, and this is something me and Sean was talking about a little bit last Wednesday night. When you talk to somebody and they say, well, what about the guy that can't get baptized? You know what? That's not my decision. God's a righteous judge and he's always going to judge righteously. Okay? That's not for me to worry about. It's not for you to worry about. What we have to worry about is are we obeying the commandments of God and the plan of salvation? And are we offering it to everybody that's still alive today? That's all we can do. God's going to take care of the rest. We trust that. We believe that. So I want to conclude right now with this. I'm going to try to bring it to a close real fast. Hopefully you can see that we have a lot in common with the thief on the cross. In his condition. How he was attached to the cross. That only thing he could do was ask Jesus to remember him. That's all the thief could do. And Jesus saved him because of his faith. Not just because he asked, but because he actually believed. That's the only time we have a recording of Jesus forgiving sins in his earthly ministry. is because of people's faith, a true belief in him. So we must also come to him in faith this morning and throughout our whole lives. His instructions are for us are clearly given in his word. After his resurrection, there's no other commandments that we need for salvation but his. That's the only commandment we got. That's the same commandment that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days later after Jesus' resurrection. You know, we have eight examples in the book of Acts of people's salvation. We even have a, a record recorded that people that were baptized under John did not know about a Holy Spirit baptism, and they were rebaptized. You know that? They got wet again. For lack of a better term, just to try to put it in perspective. And then we have the, the Apostle Paul, and this is the, what I'm going to use for closing, and I'm going to bring my remarks to a close. Here's a man who is blinded on the way to Damascus to crucify Christians, to arrest them, to put them in prison, to kill them. 
to make them confess that he's not the Lord and Savior, that he's not the Son of God. That was Paul's mission at the time on the way to Damascus. I mean, he had the warrants. He had the authority. He could do it. He wasn't just walking that talk. He was doing it. But he got struck down, blind by the Savior himself. Now, Jesus, on that particular day, could have said, Well, Paul, I know you got a good heart, and you just think you're doing the right thing, so guess what, Paul? Your sins are forgiven. Go start saving people. That ain't what happened, folks. Jesus talked to him, but Jesus didn't say, Your sins are forgiven, did they? No, he has to go by the same rules that you and I went by. And as you read over there in the book of Acts about Paul's conversion, you find out that he was told to go and it would be told for him what to do. In Acts verse 22, and we're just going to start reading here, it says, I fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with, with him saw nothing but a light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. That's Saul talking here. That's Paul talking. No one else could hear what Paul was hearing. But Paul did. And I said, and this is Paul saying, What shall I do, Lord? And then the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus. And there you be told all that is appointed for you to do. So then Paul goes to Damascus. He's sitting there for three days. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard someone tell, talking to me that no one else heard, I was wondering if I was hearing things. Paul did. The scripture said Paul prayed for three days. I don't know what he prayed for, I, have, I can only imagine. But he prayed for three days. Yet he still wasn't saved. And then somebody was told to go and talk to Paul, but he didn't really want to go do that either because he knew Paul's reputation. He knew what Paul had on him. He could arrest him, put him in jail, and kill him. But the Spirit told him to go talk to Paul. And the rest of it's the history, folks. And I said to Paul, I said, Arise and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul is still there praying for three days and still in sin. It doesn't get any plainer than that. You're not going to be saved unless you're baptized, washing away your sin. Because of your faith that Jesus died on that cross. And now you're going to keep his commandments. And that brings us to the lesson tonight. You know, just because you do that... It doesn't stop there. It goes on. We still have things that we have to do in this life after we obey the commandment of baptism. After we have that faith to confess that He was the true and Son of God. Well, there's still things that we have to do. We still have things that we have to keep. There's people we have to help. That's my remarks of the morning. I hope they were not offensive. I don't mean for him to be. Um, like I said, Brother Carl and I was working on this together. He had some very close family that he was really praying about, really concerned about. And that's what got me on this path with Carl back in August. And we were going back and forth with phone calls and discussions.
on how to do it in a loving way, in a way that would be a little bit different, that someone might have their eyes opened and their heart softened. You know, we're going to sing that song in a few minutes for the invitation. If you've never obeyed that gospel, because that's the only gospel you can obey today, and you never submitted to baptism for the remission of your sins, I'm going to encourage you to do so today. You may not have another chance tomorrow. You might, but you might not. I'm going to encourage you to take that step. It's not the end, it's not the last, but it's the beginning of a good life. It's the beginning of that assurance of that heavenly home, the same thing that that thief on the cross had when the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. The lesson is yours. If we can be of service, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song selected. Just as-